daily obeying the demands of righteousness, the commands of Scripture, leads to increasing sanctification. It's just that simple. Being a slave of God and of righteousness ultimately means only one thing, daily patterns of obedience to God's Word. That's it. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom will continue his current series with part six of Whose Slave Are You? You know, we live in a time of instant gratification. Think about it. At the click of a button, you can have groceries, pizza, or a new couch delivered to your door in no time at all. Similarly, we live in a day when Christians are looking for shortcuts to sanctification. We want an easy fix. But as you're learning through this series, God has already given you everything you need. He's given you a new heart. He's given you new desires. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's surrounded you with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And God Himself has enslaved you, if you will, to righteousness. And friend, today Tom will provide some practical ways you can use what God has given you to grow and mature in holiness and righteousness. And you might be surprised by what you learn. Keep that in mind as we join our teacher right now on The Word Unleashed. Lawlessness is a failure to obey the law of God, whether it's the law of God written in the Scripture or whether, as chapter 2 describes, it's the law of God written on every human heart. Lawlessness is a failure to obey the law of God. And that is the essence of sin. In fact, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And then he says this, for because sin is lawlessness. At its heart, sin is a refusal to obey the law of God. So, Paul says then, before Christ, we just kept presenting our bodies and all of our faculties to sin as its slave. Day after day after day, we just kept on obeying whatever sin told us to do. And what happened? Notice verse 19. It resulted in further lawlessness. In other words, that daily pattern of obedience to sin resulted in more sin. That's what he's saying. This is the way it always is. When we obey sin, it's never content. Get that in your mind. Sin will never be satisfied. Paul personifies sin here as a tyrant, and it is. Because it's never satisfied. It always wants more. You give it a little, it's not going to be happy with that. It's going to demand more of you. You can't manage or control sin. Whether you're an unbeliever or believer, understand this. You can't give sin a little because you enjoy that and expect it to stay like that. It will take more. It is a tyrant. It wants you to commit the same sin more often than you do now. And then it wants you to commit sins in darker and more sinful ways. 
And then it wants you to add to that other sins as well until you have become truly in every sense a slave of sin. But I don't want you to miss Paul's point here. Paul's point is that sin's growth in your life before Christ was what? It was gradual. I mean, think about a sin for a moment that dominated your life before Christ. Any sin that was really a huge part of your life before Christ. The first time you committed that sin, it felt uncomfortable. It felt odd. It felt awkward. But then, as you obeyed sin again and again and again, it gradually became more comfortable. And it became more frequent. And then... It became more pervasive. It it began to reach out into other areas of your life. It wasn't restricted and restrained. And in addition, its expressions became increasingly dark and sinful. And eventually, you became its slave. That's how sin always works. It's how it worked in your life. It's how it worked in my life. That sin that you tolerate today will not stay at the same level. Like a drug, it will require more and more of you in order for it to be satisfied. So slavery to sin results in more and more increasing sin. Now look again at verse 19. He says, Just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now, he's making a comparison, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Remember, verse 18, we've already been freed from slavery to sin, and God has enslaved us to righteousness. That's the indicative. That's what God has already done. So now what are we supposed to do? Well, verse 19 says, So now, on a daily basis, put the members of your body at the disposal of righteousness as its slave. By the way, there's an important point to be made here. When he says, present the members of your body, it's reminding us that the body itself is not inherently sinful. In fact, Your body can be used in the service of sin, and it was before Christ, and it can also be used in the service of God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, therefore what? Glorify God in your body, which is God's. So put your members at the disposal of righteousness as its slave just like you did with sin before Christ. And what happens when you do that? Notice verse 19, resulting in sanctification. You see, a pattern of presenting your members to righteousness, that is, a pattern of presenting yourself and everything you are to right thoughts, to right attitudes, to right actions, and doing that day after day after day will result in your growing in sanctification. You will become more righteous. You will become increasingly purer and increasingly holier. Don't miss the huge point here, and it's a, it's a very important one. Paul's point is that the gradual process that occurred with sin before Christ is the same gradual process required to grow in holiness or sanctification. 
Both before and after Christ, the process is not normally sudden or dramatic. With your slavery to sin and your obedience to it, there was a slow, steady increase in lawlessness. With your slavery to righteousness, you should expect that same slow, steady process in growing into sanctification. Now, don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean that there can't be growth spurts in the Christian life. There can be periods of rapid growth, just like physically. You know, our, our kids one day are small and eating a thimbles full of food, and, and it seems like the next day they're huge and they're eating more food than we can keep on the table. What happened? Well, there's a growth spurt. That can happen in the Christian life as well. But normally, generally it's true that both our growth in slavery to sin before Christ and our growth in slavery to righteousness now are steady, gradual processes. It's important to understand that. Don't buy into the holiness teaching that says there's going to be this miraculous experience and one day you're going to be this struggling sinner and the next day you're going to be this catapulted to a new level spiritual saint. That's not how growth in sanctification works. But there's a second key similarity between our slavery to sin before Christ and our slavery to righteousness now, and this is really, really crucial. In fact, before I give it to you, let me just say this to you. I hate to admit this to you, but verse 19, I'm afraid I have underestimated its importance in the past. I mean, you read it, and it's like, well, that doesn't sound on the surface like it's particularly helpful. I don't believe now that there is a passage more helpful in the New Testament to growing in sanctification than this passage. So let's see it together. Here's a second key similarity between our slavery to sin and our slavery to righteousness. We should serve righteousness using the same means of progress. What do I mean by that? Our growth in slavery to sin then... And our growth in slavery to righteousness now both happen the same way. And what is that way? A consistent pattern of obedience. A consistent pattern of obedience. Paul's already told us this. Go back to verse 16. When he introduced this section, he says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone, watch this, as slaves for what? For obedience. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. So before Christ, how did you present your members as slaves to sin? Very simply, you obeyed the commands sin gave you. You obeyed the commands sin gave you. And you did it again and again, day after day. Sin said to you, you found yourself in a circumstance where things weren't going well, and sin said to you, lie. Lie because it'll get you out of this. It'll make you look better. And what did you do? You obeyed sin's command. You lied. Or sin came along and said, listen, don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about all that stuff. Satisfy your sexual desires however you want. You're free to do what you want. You're not hurting anyone. So satisfy your sexual desires however you want. And, and what did you do? What did we do? We obeyed sin. Okay, that's what I'll do. Oh, maybe we drew a line somewhere and said we're not going there, but we still were willing to obey sin. 
That's how it worked. Slavery to sin was about a pattern of obedience to sin's individual commands day after day. Slavery to righteousness is also about a pattern of obedience. And what do we obey now? Well, we obey God. We obey righteousness. But how does that happen? How do we obey God? How do we obey righteousness? And the answer is what Paul is telling us. Just as, so now. Just as, so now. In other words, the answer is obey righteousness the same way you obeyed sin. We hear the individual commands of God and of righteousness, and we obey them. So here's the simple process for increasing slavery to righteousness, which results in growing sanctification. Simply obey day by day the teaching to which God has delivered us over the Scripture. Pursuing sanctification isn't passive. Pursuing sanctification is no more passive than your sinning was. Before Christ, you continually put your members at sin's disposal, which led to ever-increasing patterns of sin. In exactly the same way, put your members at righteousness disposal, and it leads to increasing sanctification. Scripture tells you in that same circumstance where once sin said, lie, you learn the Scripture, and you're in that moment, and Scripture says to you, God is truth, and He never justifies lying. Tell the truth. And what do you do? You obey the Scripture. You obey God. And you say, I'm going to tell the truth regardless of what it costs. Scripture comes along and says to you, don't try to satisfy your sexual desire except in the God-given way we have been given in marriage. And what do you do? You say, that's right. That's exactly right. And day after day, I'm going to work at not pursuing the satisfaction of those things in ways that dishonor God. And you obey righteousness day by day in the same way you used to obey sin. By the way, think about it. This is how you grow in anything. Daily patterns of obedience to the rules of that skill. It's how you become an athlete. You don't become an athlete because you, you pray for a miracle. You don't become an athlete because you, you look for a, a moment of crisis. No, you become an athlete by applying the rules of that sport, the rules of that skill, and doing it day after day after day after day. Same way you become a musician. You apply the, the rules of that skill, and you grow, and you become a musician. This is also how you grow in sanctification. Just as daily obeying sin's commands led to increasing patterns of sin in your life and you became a more accomplished sinner, daily obeying the demands of righteousness, the commands of Scripture, leads to increasing sanctification. It's just that simple. So being a slave of God in righteousness ultimately means only one thing. Get this down. Being a slave of God and of righteousness ultimately means only one thing, daily patterns of obedience to God's Word. That's it. Daily patterns of obedience to God's Word. And nothing could be more helpful to us, and yet nothing is immediately more repulsive to us, because we live in a day of Christians, and it was true when I was growing up. I remember I was exposed to some of this early on in my Christian life and experience. 
We live in a day when Christians are looking for shortcuts to sanctification. Give me a pill I can take. Give me a spiritual secret. Or maybe, maybe it's an, an emotional experience I have, some sort of an ecstatic experience. I want an easy fix. I want a miraculous victory over sin. I want microwave sanctification. But those are not and never have been God's way. God's way, listen carefully, is the hard work of day by day building patterns of obedience to the specific commands of Scripture. Christian, do you understand this? God has already given you everything you need. You don't need anything else. Think about it. He's given you a new heart. He's given you new desires. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's surrounded you with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And God Himself has enslaved you to righteousness. He is causing you to walk in His ways. You need nothing else. Just start day by day seeking to obey. Don't keep looking for some secret, some experience, some miracle. I can't say it any more bluntly than Lloyd-Jones does. I love this quote. Listen to what he says. You have already received all things that pertain into a life of godliness. You do not need another experience. You do not need some new gift. You have been given everything in Christ. You are in Him and have been from the beginning of your Christian life. And then uncharacteristically, Lloyd-Jones, he says this. You are just a slacker and a cad, just lazy and indolent, indeed a liar if you are not living this life. And then he makes this final statement, that is the New Testament way of preaching holiness and sanctification. Stop focusing on your weakness and what you can't do and start day by day using what God has given you to obey the commands of Scripture in the same way you used to obey the commands of sin. Now, I want for just a moment to go back to the first half of verse 19. Why does Paul use this picture of slavery? Notice what he says the first part of verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Clearly, he uses this image of slavery throughout this paragraph to clarify the truth for us. That reminds us, by the way, that illustrations, even imperfect ones, help us grasp the truth. But why this illustration on slavery? I mean, after all, this is an illustration that risks so much misunderstanding. In fact, some of us here are uncomfortable with this illustration. Why this illustration? Listen carefully. It's because no other illustration would help us understand the total undivided commitment we now owe God. Tom Schreiner, in his commentary, puts it this way, the image of slavery rightly denotes that God is our master to whom we owe total commitment. At the same time, in verse 19, Paul acknowledges that while this illustration is useful to make that point, it isn't perfect. Why? Because there are profound differences between human slavery and our slavery to God. There are a number we could make. Let me give you three very quickly. 
Here are the profound differences between human slavery and our slavery to God. This is why it's a good illustration, but it's not perfect. Number one, because we are not merely slaves, but we are adopted children of the Father and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, We now cry out, Abba, Father. Turn to John 15. John 15, I want you to see what Jesus himself says in verse 15. During the upper room discourse, he says to his disciples, No longer do I call you slaves. No longer. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Here's why the image of slavery, it it makes one major important point. But it doesn't tell the whole story. Because Jesus has made us his friends. We are adopted by the father. We are his brothers and sisters in Christ. So, that's why this illustration, as effective as it may be in one sense, is weak in another. There's a second reason. Our new master's commands are light and true freedom. They're not slavery at all. Turns out, His commands to us give us real freedom. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Turns out that the commands of Christ that some people could think are slavery are in fact true freedom. They set us free to be who God made us to be. They give us joy. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. In Matthew 11.30, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In 1 John 5.3, his commandments are not burdensome. John Chrysostom, the early church father, was right when he said that serving Christ as his slave is better than any freedom. There's a third profound difference between human slavery and our slavery to God. Our new master loved us so much that he offered his own life to redeem us. Again, here in John 15, look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Underline this. Let this sink into your soul. Just as I have loved you. Christian, Christ has loved you from eternity past. But that's not the ultimate expression of his love. Notice verse 13. Here's the ultimate expression. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his what? His friends. Listen, your new master is such a loving, gracious master that he bought you with himself, with his own life, so that he could redeem you. 1 Peter 1 Verses 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. I love the way Ephesians 5, 2 puts it, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. He gave himself for us. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of Whose Slave Are You? 
We'll have part seven for you next time. Do join us then. But Tom, before we end our time today, would you share a closing thought with us? Describing some of the differences between first century slavery and American slavery just reminds me of the reality that our only hope as individuals, wherever we find ourselves, whatever circumstance, in the first century, if you were a a slave or if you were a master, if you were a freedman, whatever your circumstance in life, your only hope was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the same is true today. Christ and he alone can give us a right standing before God, can grant us forgiveness with our Creator, can bring us into a right relationship with Him, and then can set us at peace with one another. The gospel is the only solution for our individual problems and our relationship to God, as well as our relationship with one another. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Mm